Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 21. This week, Brian and I are looking at and discussing recent archaeological discoveries and how they help us understand Scripture. While some of these discoveries are literally really small things, they continue to show the validity and affirm the narratives in Scripture. There have been some fascinating discoveries that I think you will enjoy hearing about. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a review on Facebook? If that's not your thing, would you mind sharing the post about this episode or another episode you've enjoyed on Facebook, or just go out and tell your friends? We'd love to expand our audience. All right, let's jump into this episode looking at some recent archaeological discoveries that help us understand the Bible. Hey, Ryan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing well. Welcome back to the Bistro. Yes, back to what, the Bistro. What do you want to What do you want to talk about today? I was thinking we'd talk about something we've chatted a little bit about is some of the archaeology. Okay. You know, we talked about the intertestinal period. We've talked about all kinds of things that right. kind of go around it. Yeah. About just the Bible in general, but there's a lot of archaeology that backs sure. up what right. we talk about in scripture. Yeah, we've, we've talked about some of these things before, but let's talk about archaeology in general just a little bit. Then I want to talk about some recent discoveries that maybe illuminate parts of the Bible or give us kind of a different idea about parts of the Bible or just confirm things. And then here's the way I'm going to do this. I'm going to say recent discovery. So these are all things that have been uncovered or at least reinterpreted since the year 2000. So this okay. is the past 20 years or so, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm also going to, let's do another episode just on the Gospel of John because there are oh, okay. several things that are that are pertinent, recent discoveries that are pertinent to the Gospel of John. We'll do a whole separate episode on this. So these are what I consider some pretty important recent discoveries in archaeology that don't have to do with the Gospel of John. So that's kind of the... <laughs> this is not just a Gospel of John podcast. Right, yes. right. I but mean, they, that's what I spend time studying. So but anyway, here, here's, here's some things. So the first one we actually mentioned before, one of the very early episodes of this podcast, just the week before that, they had made this recent discovery of ancient purple, what they call true purple or royal purple uh -huh. uh, from the time they think of around the time of King David or in that, in that period of time. I don't wow. know if you remember us discussing that, but yeah, uh, yes, that just took, that took place this year. So that that's one of the wow. things I want to talk about in terms of archaeology is that this is, and we've mentioned this before, I think people don't realize how many things are still being found and discovered now, like a, as we speak. Our techniques of archaeology have gotten better. You know, even satellites have helped in trying to determine where ancient sites are and that kind of thing, because you can look at the topography and, you know, sometimes it's it's natural events. And I'll talk about some other reasons that, that things get uncovered. But here's, here's what I want to say. When we've talked about archaeology before, you've mentioned things, you know, you've kind of said, well, this confirms this story or confirms the Bible. A lot of times I think that's what we look at biblical archaeology as. But we've also talked about how important it is especially when we got get to the Gospel of John and talk about some of the archaeological discoveries there, we've talked about how important it is to understand the culture and the history of the time. So sometimes this may not be, you know, oh, we found the exact, you know... We didn't uh, find the, the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> right, right. It's in a warehouse <laughs> the government <laughs> controls, right? Right, you yeah, know, and I think we do for movies and sometimes even the way documentaries or, you know, like uh, National Geographic documentaries make it seem like these huge massive discoveries but a lot of times it's not like oh this is the actual cup that jesus used at the last supper but to reference yes. another indiana jones yes. but uh 
Let you, it go. You know, <laughs> let it go, Indiana. Like purple, for example, is, is is it tells us something about the the culture of the time, and some it illuminates some of the some of the stories we have in scripture. So, the things I'll say is there are some very interesting things that we find. There are some things that kind of change our understanding of history. I'll give you at least one example today of something that's kind of. Uh, in the past, been a point in the Gospels that people have criticized, saying, well, I should say criticized, but have said, well, this can't be historical, that recent discoveries have shown, well, actually, this is closer to the history of the time than we thought. So so there is that kind of thing, but also just the general culture, the history, uh, those kind of things can can help us you know, understand the Bible a little bit better. So these are six. The uh, you know that's an arbitrary number. I know, but the, I just, the top six of the I, past. I, I don't know if I'd say the top six. These are six. I think we, <laughs> you know, I think I've said before we could do another episode like this. Yes. There are just so many really interesting things. These are some six that I I find interesting and I talk about sometime. One of them, so purple. I mentioned already. This yep. is this is one that's from January of this year. So. So from the time of David, that's what twenty six hundred years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a, you know thousand thousand or so um, BC is when we're talking about, and so we're talking about yeah. Let me see, do the math. That's three thousand. Yeah, 3, 000, three thousand years. Yeah. So, so it's uh, it's pretty interesting. So here was the fascinating thing: is we've known this purple exists, we've seen references to it. There are all kinds of references to this in the Old Testament. You you might remember when the tabernacle was built, for example. Yep. You know the the curtains were made out of these various colored, and purple is one of those colors that was uh, made for a curtain in the t- in the tabernacle. And so they discovered though this ancient purple, which we've kind of known about. We've seen some of the industry of how it was done, uh, but it's, it's from around the time of King David. They think maybe David or Solomon in that period of time. This would have been this would have been um, some cloth from that period. Uh, and we'll we'll link. I'll go ahead and say we'll link some of these stories, some of these new stories, some of the archaeological reports on our website, so you can read more about this. This one was fascinating, though, and I I put this on my Facebook page when it first came out, and people were commenting on it. Just really interesting stuff. Uh, now, here here's the thing about purple. It's called true purple, or we we talk about royal purple a lot when we talk about mm-hmm. these things in the Bible, and that's because purple dye was a very valuable thing in this period of time. You know, today we use all kinds of synthetic dyes, and you know, you can you can yes. go to to uh, well, I don't want to mention any specific retailer like you know Walmart or anything, but I guess yes. I just did. But uh, now we're you, being tracked. <laughs> we can go we can go to virtually any store and pick up a really brightly colored shirt for five bucks, six bucks. You know, like you're mm-hmm. wearing a Carhartt right now that's uh, that's blue, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know the brightly colored that kind of thing. But in the ancient world. There were it was natural dyes, right? And so for some of these colors, they had to really go to extravagant lengths in order to get these things. So purple, the kind of purple we're talking about that they discovered in this in this cloth that they believe is from you know the the one thousands BC, this came from sea snails that were found in the Mediterranean, which is really interesting. It's interesting. It, it's interesting for a number of different reasons. First of all, of course, snails are not kosher. That this is not a this is not a thing that the Jewish people would eat in in that, you know, the the ancient is is Israelites would eat these things. But they would take it and there's a gland of these certain there's I think three three or four different genus of these um species of these yeah. snails that that have a gr- gland that excretes this purple dye. So here's the thing: the industry that made this purple would have to extract. They'd have to first of all dive and catch these sea snails. They would have to extract this, and each sea snail 
has about a in their glands has has something like a gram of this dye. So very very small amount. So imagine how many of those you'd have to you know to to let's say a purple robe or a purple uh you know some kind of purple you know dress or whatever you would have to have thousands of these things in order to extract enough in order to dye it with that rich kind of color purple. So this is why it became associated with wealth. Mm. You know and it, in fact it stands for wealth a lot of times in scripture. You'll see sometimes even when wealth when um, you know the Israelites or others are being criticized because of their wealth, sometimes this is a, a thing. I'll, I'll give you an example of that a little bit later, maybe. But but this idea of purple is interesting for that reason. It shows wealth. The other thing is this: these sea snails are found in the Mediterranean. So this is why we think maybe you know from the time of Solomon, David, th- this was a period of time when there was trade going on. Mm-hmm. And so here's an example. This is you know so we're not talking about the robe that David wore, right? right. That, that would yes. be great headlines. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking about a cloth that was dyed with this particular dye of these. And, you know, of course, scientifically we can figure out what's what species this was of sea snail and so forth. We learned something about the trade. Mm-hmm. of this period of time where where we think this was would have been made and then it would have been traded with other you know for other things it would have been brought by merchants and caravans and that kind of thing in order to to be sold and and to be where where we found this uh, and by the way it was it was in the southern Israel where this was found in in an arid region we've talked before when you went to the Holy Land you guys went down to the Dead Sea I yes. think in that area yeah. mm-hmm. so you remember as you go down into the Judean wilderness it gets drier yes. and it gets hotter mm-hmm. and so that's the reason these cloths were preserved kind of the same we mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls before mm-hmm. and it's that same kind of region where you have these you know this, these conditions that allow this ancient material to survive now, let's talk about purple in the New Testament a little bit. Like I said, it's used lots of times in the Old Testament, this idea of for, for royalty, uh, you know, it's kind of used as a symbol for that. There are a few times that we find purple in the New Testament. Can you, can you remember any times in the New Testament where uh, we find Jesus this? gets a robe of purple. When, when does he get that robe of purple? After he's been scourged. Okay, so, so they're mocking him, right? Mm-hmm. They, we, we know the crown of thorns. But you may remember the Synoptic Gospels also tell us that they brought out this purple robe and put on him to mock him. Now, this isn't a whole lot, but the the thing is when we begin to realize how valuable that purple cloth was, Mm -hmm. what that kind of indicates to me is the degree to which they went in order to mock that Jesus was acclaimed by some to be some kind of king, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, we'll put this royal purple on you. So here's this condemned criminal, right? Yeah. But they bring this out to mock him, and and again, this isn't, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, some kind of really cheap piece of cloth. This would have been something that somebody would have had as a, as a treasured part of their possession, and they used it to mock Jesus. And so that just kind of shows the depth uh, again of the hatred of the of the you know the things that were being thrown against him, the depth of the humiliation that they were trying to pile on him. Hmm. There's another time uh, when we find in, in Jesus telling a story, do you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The, uh, the yes. story that Jesus told when Jesus describing the rich man, he talks about that he was clothed in fine purple. And so again, that that's a sign of his status, right? Not mm-hmm. everybody could wear purple. That shows that he's he, it was one of the ways to describe him as being a rich person as he wore this purple. And then uh, what? any other times you can remember purple uh, in the New Testament? Lydia and Acts. Okay. In the book of Acts, Lydia, and, and you might remember her when when uh, Paul comes into this particular area. He's just come, uh, you know, across the, the Hellespont into Greece, and he he meets this, um, well, he finds out there's this place near a river where these people are meeting for 
Bible study. And Lydia is there, and she seems to be kind of the leader here. And she's described as a seller of purple. Mm-hmm. And, and so, again, that shows us something about her, her status and uh, the importance that that some of these business people, business women in this case, had in the early church. And, you know, she would have been a wealthy um, uh, a wealthy person becomes a believer under Paul's teaching. And so very interesting that detail that she's, you know, probably a successful, you know, business rel- woman. relatively wealthy businesswoman in this case. It kind of just gives us that little detail, seller of purple. You know, so again, this, you know, near the sea, near the Mediterranean, somebody who would have probably paid people to dive and find these sea snails and then extract it and then dye cloth with it. So just, just an interesting little detail. One more, one more I'll mention this is the book of Revelation, and uh, it talks about the woman on the scarlet beast. Hmm. Uh, and, and and someday we'll talk about this, but I think it's it's talking about Rome and her luxuries. You know, the, the city of Rome and hmm. the, their indulgences, the, the trade way that, her wares, the way that they've taken advantage. And so she's described as wearing purple garments. You know, so again, kind of almost wastefully, you know, that she's she's adorned in, in purple. So that's that's one recent archaeological discovery. It'll be interesting. You know, that one's January, so it'll be interesting to see when they do wow. some more analysis of that and that kind of thing. And that, that drives it home, doesn't it, right? And that, that this is something that's ongoing. It's Yeah, we haven't found everything. Right. <laughs> like, there's still work right. to be done. Right. Let me move back just a couple of years then, 2019. Oh, and I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. 2020, of course, for many people was a very strange year, right? I did guess. It, did everything kind of go normally for you, Ryan, in uh, 2020? It was a tweaked just a little bit. <laughs> Lots of people had to adjust. And one of the one of the... Uh, I wouldn't call it an industry, but one of the uh, segments of of the world that had to adjust was archaeology in the Holy Land. A lot of digs were canceled, and there were some exciting kind of things that were kind of on the horizon. Mm-hmm. You know what what happens? A lot of these is is they're they're sponsored sometimes by universities in maybe Europe or in the United States. There are certain theological colleges and seminaries that will sponsor a dig there, mm-hmm. and they may work with the Israeli government. They send over. Uh, representatives, but a lot of times students go and do the digs. And of course, a lot of travel didn't happen mm-hmm. this year. So, you know, there's a lot of these digs that were put on, completely put on hold that just for a period of time, they're, you know, put on hold. So that was interesting. Two years ago, though, there's, and I'll just mention this, this, uh, a minor one and, and how it illuminates scripture a little bit. This was found, and the reason this was publicized in the Israeli press is it was near an Israeli military base. Okay. And they actually had soldiers go out and kind of dig and uncover. And what it was, it was a massive tower, uh, a watchtower, and they think, dating it by some of the pottery and things that have been found, that it was it was Judean in origin uh, from the, the kingdom of Judah, and it was from the time of King Hezekiah. Now, I, I don't know if you remember what happened during the time of King Hezekiah, but this Hezekiah was the king when Assyria— was coming down from the north in order to threaten Judah. Mm-hmm. And of course they'd already destroyed Israel or what yeah, right. called it in the New Testament Northern Samaria, Kingdom. right? Yeah. They'd been they'd been destroyed, carried off into captivity. They come down to the border and and you might remember Hezekiah prays. Yes. And and you know, according to scripture, 186,000 Assyrian soldiers die that night. And so so that's you know, that's the story, that's the background of this, but then after that, Assyria withdraws and and Judah has a relative period of, of peace. peace. Now, one of the things that always, anytime you read the Old Testament, you need to think about the Philistines and, and look on a map sometime, or maybe we can link a map that will show this, but the Philistine plain 
is down in the area. Now we, we call it the Gaza Strip now, but you know, Ashdod in the ancient ancient world, the cities were Ashdod, Gath, Gaza. Uh, I can remember all five of them. There's five cities along the plain there. And Hezekiah, you know, well, any any of the kings of Judah had to always watch because the Philistines were a constant source of potential friction. Even back in the time of King David, you might remember mm. the Philistines were one of the problems. You might remember Goliath was a Philistine. Oh, yeah, he was in there. Yeah. Right, right. Yes. So this watchtower, and and, and um, during the time of King Uzziah, which was a time of relative power for Judah, it says one of the things that Uzziah built, and I love I love to describe this because it says he built a series of watchtowers. Now, now what this what what these would do, is, and these were massive blocks. They said some of the blocks that that built this particular watchtower they discovered in 2019 were eight tons. Oh my gosh! So these are these are huge. It's not a small tower. These are huge structures uh, that would go up above the plane, and what they would do is they would give. Uh, of course, you know how it is when you're up higher, you can see farther, and it would give kind of advance warning if you saw enemy coming, the army's coming. But the interesting thing is we 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 think there's a series of these watchtowers, which would allow people who are watching to signal back, and, and it was kind of almost a, a rapid communication system mm-hmm. in those days. So not only would you see them coming, but you didn't have to then go run and tell somebody. You'd signal to the next watchtower. That's and why they would signal to the next one and signal absolutely. the next one. If you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I was just thinking yeah, this. Yeah. That's when they start lighting the fires on yeah. top of the mountains to kind of signal back. That's exactly what's going on. Now, those mountains are even huge but you know, in Lord yeah. of the Rings. But but these, these watchtowers would allow... Uh, it was kind of an advanced warning system, and it was a, it was a way to describe and, and to t- talk about the relative power of, let's say, the kingdom of Judah during this period of time. Because there was times where Judah was weaker and times historically when it was stronger. This is, we think, from the time of King Hezekiah, probably after the Assyrians had threatened and then withdrawn. And so Judah was left in a relatively powerful position in the, in the region. And, you know, Israel was gone at that time. When I say Israel, the northern kingdom, kingdom. you realize we're talking about. This is after the divided kingdom. And so, uh, you know, that's that's a, a kind of a neat little detail of this, yeah. this watchtower that they found. They found uh, burning there that, that indicates that these, you know, these signal fires that were, were you know, this is one of the ways that they did. There's, so there's all kinds of little cool things there. They found pottery that's consistent, I said, with Judah. Because one of the questions is, you, in archaeology, then maybe this will be a little little of a, of a thing, is, you know, we found this watchtower here. Well, who built this? Was this the kingdom of Judah, or was this the Philistines who were watching the, the people yes. of Judah? Yes. And, and so the pottery here is consistent with it being the uh, kingdom of Judah. So, yeah, that's another little, little uh, interesting tidbit from the Old Testament we found. So, Here's a third thing, and this is from 2016. So so far, I've only been in the past what four or five, five years. years, and I'm yeah. not doing this in any order, by the way. This isn't. You're just letting it ride. Yeah, I'm just kind of kind of these are as they came. But 2016 in October, really interesting thing happened. You may have seen some of the articles about this, but we when we talk about the Holy Land, we talked about the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, mm-hmm. and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is interesting in Jerusalem because it houses a number of different holy sites. It's not only the place that's the traditional site of Jesus. This is the traditional site, and there's difference of opinion on this, I'll go ahead and say. Mm-hmm. It's a traditional site of Jesus' crucifixion, but it's also the traditional site of his burial. Both yes. of those are under the same roof. They're, it's it's a huge building. It's a huge building. There's different parts to it, but this, the, we've talked before, there's six different Christian uh, groups that claim different parts of it. 
And then you've got this thing, it's called the eticule. Is if you've ever been to the Holy Land or if you've ever been there, like you said, I think you said there's a long line and it's kind of a little building in the middle Build, of a building. Building in a building, right? Yeah. And it's under this huge dome. And that is the traditional site of the tomb of Jesus. Now there's some different ideas about where where Jesus may have been buried, some even relatively close to this. It seems like it was built on a limestone quarry, which is consistent with what we read about it being called the place of the skull, for example, and and, and the the way it was described as a rock hewn tomb that there was this large stone rolled rolled across. So it's possible, but but anyway, w- whether it is or not, this is a place that for since literally centuries there have been a church there since the time in 325 there was already a church there uh it, it, this is when um when uh, it, it, they, you know they came in and they looked and there was already this church there they think probably from the time of the third century wow you know 200 sometime there there had been a church there venerating this as a holy site now an interesting thing happened of course if you know, just like today, there were pilgrims that came from the ancient world. Back then, things were not controlled as well as they are now. Yeah. Well, it depends It depends on how it feels from time to time. But uh, in the 16th century, they sealed this tomb in, in marble. And, and the reason they didn't kind of – that's where we get this building that's kind of mm-hmm. built over it and that kind of thing. The reason they did that was because pilgrims were coming, and they were chipping off parts of yes. this limestone in order to take back home with them. You know, this is the place where Jesus rose from the dead, and so I want to take back a piece yeah. of this stone. Uh, so from the 16th century, that had been sealed until October of, of 2016, and they unsealed it in order to do some restoration work, and they only did it for a few days. They unsealed it pretty quickly, but they took pictures. They they did some measurements and that kind of thing. And so the really interesting thing is that there were indications again of the ancient how old this particular um, part of the building, this tomb is, and they believe goes all the way back to the first century. So there's some interesting things about that. Again, whether this is Jesus' tomb or just another tomb, you know, this area is a place where there were many tombs, tombs. for a long period of time. You know, we're we're talking about now. You know, we're talking about you know thousands now of years. People have worshiped at that place, remembering the story of what Jesus did in his resurrection. And, uh, you know, so it was kind of cool that that for the first time in, you know, how many years in, in, uh, 500 years was being opened and they were able to examine some of the, some of what was sealed at that time. So that's another recent archeological discovery that that's kind of interesting, gives us a little bit more insight into, into Jesus. These next two, I'm going to talk about kind of together. Uh, let me talk first about Beit Shemesh. This is a, a village that has been known for some time. There's been an archaeological dig there for some time. And this is this is an interesting thing. You know, we talked before when we talked about the Holy Land, we said that everywhere you go, there's a church. But, you know, the, the place is thick with these archaeological sites, too. Like, right. like everywhere you turn, there's archaeological sites. And just because of the nature of the history of the, of the place in Israel, Israel-Palestine today, Whenever there's any kind of a construction project or any type of a road project, it's required that there be archaeologists on site in case something's discovered. And so they were they were getting ready to do – they discovered this archaeological site. They are getting ready to move a highway. In the area they're going to move the highway to, they discovered additional archaeological things. Yep. And the really interesting thing about this, this is, this is Beit Shemesh. It's about 12 miles east of Jerusalem. 
uh, as I mentioned, they, they knew there was a settlement there, but what they found, and, and this is going to, I'm going to explain this. And like I said, the next one is going to be connected to this. They found a synagogue that they can date back to the first century. Mm. Now this is a dedicated building. This is a dedicated synagogue that was used for that purpose is what it seems like in the first century. Now here's why this is important. Several times in the gospels, there are these phrases. I'm, I'm going to give you two. In Matthew 4, 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee. I'll come to this in a minute. Of course, this isn't Galilee. This is in Judea. This is near Jerusalem, the one I'm talking about right now. But Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So it talks about this idea of synagogues, right? Number of different different places like this that Jesus traveled. Later, Matthew chapter 9, 23, it says, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. And here we're thinking more about Judea, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So there's this, and and that's not the only time. Mark, Luke, they they all talk about that Jesus went to these various synagogues. Now, here was the problem, and here's what, what people have said. In the past, there have been those commentators on these gospels who said this has to be an anachronism. Uh, anachronism means it's something that doesn't fit with that period of time, right? Mm-hmm. It, it has to be something that was written, it was in, inserted later. And here was, here was the reasoning. They said during the first century, synagogues did not exist as separate buildings. You'll know this, Ryan. What, what do we believe when the, when the early church began to meet? Where, where would they meet? House churches. House churches is what we believe. So these were not, you know, when we talk about churches, like the when Paul's writing the church in Colossae, or mm-hmm. the churches in Colossae, actually, but when he's writing to these to these places, it's not like we picture a white, you know, church building with right. a steeple and this, you know, yeah. it's cross it's small on top groups into yes. that. <laughs> you know, it's, yes. it's it's not a dedicated building, but it's it's probably a wealthy person, someone who had a big enough house that people could meet together. Uh, you know, kind of like we do sometimes with small groups and meeting houses. So for a long time, people thought, well, that's how synagogues were. They weren't dedicated spaces, but they were simply places where people would gather and read the Torah together, homes or, you know, those kind of things. And so they they look at details like that's all the synagogues. They're like, oh, that's got to be from later. And some people even said that synagogues didn't begin to be built as, as purpose built places until after these churches were, and they were almost kind of a reaction. You know, we oh, talk okay. about these churches yeah. being everywhere. When they started building these dedicated buildings over these holy sites, sometimes like Capernaum is an example of that, if you remember where yes. that huge synagogue is there. Some people believe that that was built in reaction to the, the church. church that was built over Peter's, what we believe to be Peter's house. So they would say, well, that's anachronistic. Synagogues were not really built as purpose-built buildings until at a later period of time. And so Matthew has to be written later. He's not giving us a historical detail here. He's talking about something from a later period of time that he's reading back into the life of Jesus. But this discovery at Beit Shemesh, which, you know, just we're talking about a few years ago. I didn't write down the date. I can't remember exactly now. It's, it's, it's been within the past few years. Maybe I'll see if I can find that. It shows that there was this this dedicated building that was used for that purpose. Now it's interesting again, and, and again, it just shows us how much how much archaeology is present in Jerusalem as well. I think it's interesting for that reason. Anything you want to say about that, or any? But, you know, I think even for me, like as you're talking about this, like I always thought, like they just had synagogues. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's one of these things that you know, not having gotten the archaeology or some of the archaeological debate about you know some of the historicity or the right. historic nature of 
uh, some of the gospels to kind of go, well, I just, I just de facto accepted <laughs> that, that there's synagogues everywhere. And so I, you know, I didn't even know there was a debate about it. And to hear like, you know, that there is, you know, it just wasn't in the temple, that there are these smaller gatherings where they're reading the Torah together. And all that's, it's very interesting. Right. Well, and that's, you know, that, that's the point is, is there's nothing wrong with just, just accepting it. But then you come across somebody who says, well, there, you know, there really weren't these synagogues. You know, we have this image in our mind. And there were people say, oh, there weren't really these synagogues. But then again, archaeologically, we're beginning to see this. So let me mention this next one uh, as well. And this is a, a place up in Galilee. So you remember the the first passage I read out of Matthew talked about, he went throughout Galilee, Galilee and yep. all these synagogues. And and people say, well, especially here. You know, maybe in Judea there were synagogues, but up here there, there were not. And there's a place there. Now, we've known this site more or less since 1970, but then it has been discovered more recently. It, more of it has been discovered. And this is the town of Migdal or Magdala. These are, these are two words that are, that are kind of, you know, just depending on how you pronounce the language and so forth. But Migdal is what we call it a lot. This is a, a, a town that is up near, near the Sea of Galilee. Now, did you guys stop there when you were I don't believe that we okay. did. I was <laughs> I, on autopilot for some of this, I, I, unfortunately. I, you know, the last trip I led there, I I specifically said I want to go to Migdal. This is a place that I want to go. I've not seen it. I, this is, but this I'm really fascinated about what I'm getting ready to tell you here. Some of the things that we see going on there. So we made sure that was a part of itinerary. And you'll remember I've told you I had I had this appendicitis, and so I was in the hospital the day my no. got to see Migdal. So my wife has actually been to Migdal. I still have not been to Migdal. So I gotta <laughs> I gotta get back there and get to Migdal. Yes. So Migdal was rediscovered. Basically, they were kind of building a retreat center there. It's on. It's, it's a beautiful spot. It's on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and it's interesting because it's the University of Mexico City that's that's doing part of the um, dig because it was a group from Mexico that had come to do this a Roman Catholic group from Mexico that had come to kind of build this retreat center in the Holy Land, which would have you know again a beautiful yeah. spot. But it is very near some other things that we know from the story. It, if you've if you've been to the traditional side of the feeding of the 4,000, or if you've been to Capernaum, it's kind of right around the corner, I would say, from there. Yes. If you think about the Sea of Galilee and you kind of move to the west and to the south around that corner, mm-hmm. that's where Migdal is located. It's it's not too far from one of the major highways there that runs north and south along the Sea of Galilee today. And they were digging some foundations again, same same kind of thing. They came across these, these first century, these Hellenistic period findings and and they they discovered this town. Now the interesting thing, a couple of interesting things about this. So when I say Migdal or if I say Magdala, what what does that make you think of when you hear that name Magdala? Uh Mary Magdalene. Okay, okay Mary Magdalene. So so what her last name means <laughs> the, the, from Magdala. Right, it means that that she's somehow associated with this city in 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 uh, or this town, this village of Migdal. We don't we don't know exactly if that means that's where where she she lived for a period of time or where she was from, you know. And there's lots of complicated things I won't get in today about her family relationships and how that all fits and and the stories there. She's mentioned in all four gospels though. You might remember has a very important role typically in the burial of Jesus and and those kind of things. And so th- there's only one mention of her. I think it's in Luke that says that that she was the one that that Jesus drove these demons out of. There's lots of debate about this, but anyway, I'm not going to get into all of that. But she's somehow associated with this. And I'm going to tell you that there was an industry. It's on the sea. It's on the Sea of Galilee. 
And we know there are fishermen from the Sea of Galilee, right? Yes. We have some of Jesus' disciples. At least five of Jesus' disciples were were fishermen of some sort or the other, it seems like. They were from these areas, these villages that were on the seashore. And Migdal was known specifically for taking some of the fish from the Sea of Galilee and making this stuff called garum, which is a fish paste, let's call it. It's kind of a... Nah, okay. <laughs> You kind of lost me at fish paste. Well, kind of like anchovy paste or something along those lines. Okay, okay. It was something that was that was you know it was a very strong smelling, strong flavored thing that that the the Romans loved and they would use in their foods in preparation and this kind of thing. But but Migdal was known as a place where this stuff was produced. This garum was was produced. Fish paste capital. <laughs> so. So again, when we, you know, so part of what archaeology is is illuminating for us are things like the industry and the economy. You know, like we talked mm-hmm. about with the purple, you know, garm was made there, and then it was sent. We find examples of stone jars, or not stone, but clay jars that have migdal stamped on them that shows that the, 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 these traveled all over the Roman Empire from this place. So we we imagine people there would have been relatively wealthy people, well to do, because they had this industry, industry. fishermen. You know, uh, garum makers. You know that that kind of thing is what what was going on here. But now here's what's really interesting. Just like the synagogue that I mentioned to you, we have discovered. And again, I should I always say we like I did it. But but way to uh, go, Brian. So proud. But the archaeologists have discovered a first century synagogue in Migdal. Now again, this is right around the corner from Capernaum, where people in the past said, "Oh, the, there's no way there's first century synagogues in these places that Jesus supposedly was in the synagogue." These were, you know, this is a, yeah. an anachronism. But in Migdal, there has been discovered this first century um, synagogue. Synagogue, very interesting. Then in 2009, so this is you know just again very recently, one of the things that was discovered there was we call it the the Magdala stone sometimes. It, it, it's it's kind of imagine kind of a, a square stone table that would be tall enough if you, if you were let's say seated on the ground you you could read a book on top of it okay and it's carved in the shape of the temple wow very interesting and and what we believe is the person who carved that would have seen the temple himself now this is up in Galilee remember and there's been mm-hmm. all these debates about well how how observant were really the the Jewish people up in in Galilee were they as serious about their Judaism about the religion as the people down in Judea and these kind of things but here's this we think as a part of the the furniture of this synagogue from the 1st century here was this carved temple that was there and again probably carved by somebody who'd seen the temple themselves on one of their pilgrimages up there during one of the the feast days Again, it just it adds to it's not just one of these synagogues, but now we're starting to find a number of these different synagogues that are dated to the first century, dated by coins and uh, pottery and different other reasons that they can date these. Archaeologists look at the the depth sometimes of where where things are. They can they can date the various layers. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we have there there going on in in both these places. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. I, it, the the Magdala Stone is that what you refer to? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I had not heard of that. You yeah. know, and that's really interesting. To it was important enough for them to bring back this image and you know to see it, right? And to take the time and carve it. You know, it was just right. like someone had taken in their memory and go like, this is important enough sure. to preserve, right? The, what the temple looks like and made it part of you know made it part of their their weekly worship. You know, made yeah. it part of their their 
I don't want to say routine, but you, you know what I'm saying? Part yeah. of their, you know, this place, this space that we use, the synagogue that we use in order to come together and read the Torah. And some people even believe, and, you know, I mentioned it, you could read probably a scroll that was laid on top of it. Some people think that that may be what it was used for, that it was a place that someone could, s- could sit down. You might remember when Jesus was supposedly in the Nazareth synagogue, right? Yes. That that he he took and he sat down to teach and read from the book of Isaiah, the mm-hmm. scroll of Isaiah. And so it, we imagine it could could have been, potentially been used for that. And there's still, again, this is relatively recent. They're still discovering stuff there. I, I, I got to go back to the Holy Land to see, just to see Migdal, if nothing else. Yeah. So, Well, and I think it just kind of goes back to some of our other episodes, just the importance of temple. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is where God resides. Yeah. And they're trying to bring some of that, Home, I don't know, that energy right. or, the, you know, yeah. when I say energy, I don't mean right. like a new age mystical sense, right. but like, you know, what it feels like to be in the presence of God, right. you know, to be surrounded yeah, by that. It's important, important place for them. That's that's a very good point. I, I appreciate that. Well, let's, since we're talking about the temple, here's my final one, and I'm kind of cheating on this. Let, let's talk about the temple mount. And, and there's a project that occurred, in the, and here are the dates I'm going to give you, 2005 to 2017. And there were several things that were found as a part of this project, and, and it's called the Temple Mount Sifting Project. It took place from 2005 to 2017. Now, we've talked about the Temple Mount as it exists today, and mm-hmm. you know, you you said when your group went over the Holy Land, you didn't go up on top because of the tensions. Tensions and were, were high. What happens right now is the Temple Mount. This is the platform on which the ancient Temple of Herod and and we think earlier than that Solomon's Temple stood, and it's controlled right now not by any one group, but it, it's a religious trust of various Islamic groups that control the the temple platform. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are responsible for that comings and goings. And and you know, I mentioned when when our group went, we had, you know, the 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 women were required to cover their hair completely, had to have a head covering that cover, you know, they couldn't have any hair sticking out and supposed to cover your upper arms. You're not supposed to, you know, show your upper arms, these kind of things. And, you know, you had to have a certain amount of decorum as you went up and were were in that place. It's it's an interesting place to go. But you can imagine because there are, there are, you know, it's not just one group, but there are th- at least three different major world religions and, of course, various factions of those world religions yes. that all claim this as a as a hugely important place for us, right? As, as Christians, mm-hmm. we think about, you know, Jesus walking in, in this area. We think about him teaching, it says sometimes in the temple courts. I mentioned John 10 a few episodes ago, and so... You remember he was it was winter was Solomon's colonnade. You know he yep. was he, a part of the temple that he was he was um, teaching in. The early church met in, in some of these areas of the temple, and so so it's 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 important for for Christians. It's important for the Jewish people, obviously, uh, as the site of the, the the temple that was destroyed. The second temple was destroyed in eighty seventy. First temple in five eighty six BC. And then we've got 587, 586, 587. Huh. And then, of course, the, the the Islamic people now have at this important place that uh, Muhammad, at least in a vision or a dream, went to and ascended into heaven from. And so we've got all of these religious people that, that claim it as their own. Right now, The as I mentioned, these Islamic groups and a religious trust control it. So you can't, you can imagine, you can't excavate the Temple Mount. Right. But... I, you know, so there's a lot. It's kind of mysterious. There's a lot we don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned it's very high. You know, there. You know, the way Jerusalem is built is obviously over, like you've said, in layers over mm-hmm. over hundreds of years, thousands of years. Literally, there have been layers that have been built up. 
There are things all around the Temple Mount. There are stores. There are there are various things that that there are tunnels sometimes that people believe that they they can get into. There's stories about people who've accidentally gotten gotten into parts of the underneath the Temple Mount that that still contain you know remnants of the temple and these kind of things. So so there's all kinds of these kind of things. But what happened is that this Islamic Trust did a construction project. And and you could imagine this was very hotly debated, and there's yes. you know d- depending on who you talk to, there's lots of really strong opinions about this. But during that construction project, roughly ninety thousand tons of dirt were removed from the Temple Mount, wow, and, and and just put in this place. So what the Temple Mount sifting project did is they said we want to sift through all this dirt to see what kind of artifacts that we can find because this is from this very very holy site, and so they did that for a long period of time. It was a privately funded thing, so they've they've ran out of money in 2017. They've they've sifted about 70 percent of the dirt that's there, and they still have well, you do the math, 30 percent that's left. And yes. So, so uh, they they're hoping to return to that, and they're still hoping to raise funds and return to that in order to be able to do that. And they've recorded they've recovered lots of things. So this is where I'm kind of cheating. There's been lots of really interesting things that have been done. In fact, you could just sign up for a week at a time if you wanted to go and be a part of this project. They would train you, and you could sift. You, you've seen these uh, on um, shows, maybe on the Discovery Channel, payment or for gold. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. They, it's a screen basically, and you you, you dump, dump a thing of dirt on it, and two people shake it back and forth, and all the dirt kind of dust kind of settles through, and then you you're left with any rocks and anything that's larger than that. Over five thousand coins have been mm. have been recovered, which t- again tell us different things. But the most important was a temple tax coin that seems to be from the time of the one of the Jewish rebellions in about sixty seven. AD. AD. Yeah, is when when we believe this was found. And so it's it's a half shekel coin which was used for the temple tax. Um look at you got your Bible there, right? Look yep. at look at Exodus chapter 30, verses 13 through 15. Exodus 30 All right, let 13 me get it through here. 15. Yeah, I didn't give you any advanced no, warning you didn't. for that. I'm Exodus 30. I'm there. 13 through 15. 13 through 15. This is ESV. Is that all right? That's fine. Okay. Uh you want to read this out loud, I guess. Yeah, go ahead. No, no just <laughs> read it to yourself. Through- <laughs> 13 through 15, just a couple verses here. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The the shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. Go ahead. The, the, The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. So every male in Israel was required every year to give this half shekel coin. We call it the temple tax. Now, I'm going to get to where this this becomes relevant for us, but you know they they would bring this half shekel coin to the temple, and that was you know if if you went up for one of the yearly feasts, you 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 paid this this temple tax. That was something you did, and of course it was used for the maintenance and the upkeep of the temple and the things that needed to be done there in that place. So uh, here's the interesting thing about those coins. If you use the common coin of that day, we've talked about this before, when you use, let's say, um, a Roman coin, typically that's going to have on it, you know, the head of the emperor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, the story where Jesus uh, says, bring me a coin, you know, when they're saying, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He says, whose image is on it? And they're like, well, Caesar's, you know, so, so typically it was this now I'm going to use this word very, very intentionally. A graven image, right, of mm-hmm. a Roman 
emperor on there. And often there were kind of Roman religious symbols as well. So Roman gods, sometimes the Caesar was kind of, you know, looked like a, a, a god, you yes. know. And so that's not the kind of thing you're supposed to take into the temple, right? Mm -hmm. So what you would have is you'd have these people who would take your Roman coins and they would change them for these temple, temple. coins. And so those were money changers, mm. right? Yes. Like, like what we see with Jesus in, in, in the temple where he was criticizing them because of the way that they were cheating people, probably take. And so in other words, they were maybe, uh, you know, taking a little bit more Roman coinage than they were giving for the temple tax. And so... Uh, you know, but people had to do it because I can't use my, you know, Roman my, money, right? My pagan Roman money to take into the temple, so I got to do this. And so people were taking advantage of that. The you're turning my father's house into a den of thieves, right? Mm -hmm. A den of robbers. And so, so that's kind of cool that they've actually found this this early temple tax coin, and really the only one that's in the temple that they've that they've that they found and connected with that. They found floor tiles there and they've been able to reconstruct what they think some of the rooms would have been like, the the tiles the way that they would have been, uh, which is kind of cool. And then a, a, a last thing, the earliest example of Hebrew script that they found in the temple was a, a bulla that they found relatively recently, which is a it's kind of a, a clay seal, if you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And and here's what it said. It said belonging to Ga'al Yahu, I should have practiced that ahead of time. <laughs> Son of Immer. Now, interesting okay. about this is the Yahu there is is a name that you see pretty frequently. Yah, like Elijah, Elijah, right? Yes. Or it's it's the name for God. So we we know that this is someone who worshipped Yahweh, right? This is this is so Ga'al Yahu. There you go. That was the closest I'm going to get. And then Immer is actually mentioned in in. Uh, Jeremiah, he's a priest, mm -hmm. and so son of Emmer, we we think this is probably somebody from the priestly line that had this this um, seal that was kind of a token, uh, and so uh, we've we've discovered that again earliest, and it's it's a very early script of Hebrew, so it shows again the the connection uh, between the priesthood and that that particular site because of this dirt that's been you know, sifted through that was used as part of a construction project. So those are just six things that have been relatively recent. Um, and fascinating. You know what I mean? Like part of it is not not even knowing for me, knowing some of the controversy about the synagogue thing, right, but to right. hear, again, it's like bringing all these pieces together, right. just like that seal you're talking about, like, and we've got this from the priestly line and we're finding this, the temple, and it all makes sense. And to see this history bring brought right. together that we've read about, that it is not just... Again, fictional story. It's real. Right. Like, and, and archaeology is is opening our eyes to that sure. and to it. So, yeah, that, and it's it's ongoing too. That's not it's not just something that all happened fifty years ago. You know, now there were lots of archaeological discoveries that have been happening in the past. But my point is, it's still very very recent. And you know, people are creatively finding new ways to to do these ground penetrating radar. Uh, you you maybe have seen on other you know like TV mm -hmm. shows if you're into archaeology shows and that kind of thing. Uh, where we're able to kind of figure out where walls are and where the best place to dig to find things, and you know, again, we're going to hopefully talk to Mark Zees in in a future episode, who's who's trained us in archaeologists, who's been on archaeological digs, number of them, uh, some very important ones. Uh, hopefully, get to talk to him about some of that. I have some other friends who've who've dug over there and and done it consistently. It'd be neat to talk to them about their their particular digs. Of course, every Every dig is different. different. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting, though. Mark has really been able to see and travel. He's lived over there long enough that he's been able to see several of these and has a, a really kind of a unique overall perspective 
of uh, of some of these things. So, yeah. and it's and, you know for me to think there's as much underground still yeah, yeah. to be uncovered oh, as yeah I mean, we've discovered. The estimates of what people you know the, the percentage of things that they think we found is small compared to what's underneath. And, and you know here's part of the problem we talked about Jerusalem and it's it's still I mean people live there right their houses are there <laughs> yes. their businesses are there. Uh-huh. It's not like you can go and say hey we think there's something interesting under your business floor let's dig it up you know. Yeah. Uh, and then you add to that the tension between the various groups that claim different parts mm-hmm. of the city and uh, you know it's just a really it's a really difficult area in which you know to do these things but there's lots to find there i think and that's you know even the even the idea of the we mentioned with the church of the holy sepulcher it was sealed for all those years and and they only allowed it to be open you know the groups that control it only allowed it to be open for just a few days but they said just those few days the the data that was gathered is going to be you know talked about and and correlated and worked on for years after that too so Interesting. I think we can do another show like this sometime too. These, like I said, these are these are constantly evolving. These are just the ones that kind of I thought were interesting over the past, you know, maybe I guess I could have done the last ten years. I think for most of them, but uh-huh. uh, just recent archaeological discoveries in the Holy Land. Yeah, well, it's very fascinating, and I think it again helps us get a, a broader picture of of what's happening, what was there, and just the truth of. The scriptures, right? There may be some that, that some people out there are saying, "Oh, you you forgot this," and I'd be interested to see see what you said. And I do want to remind you that I, we're going to do another episode just on archaeological discoveries that impact the understanding of the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. There have been a ton of those in recent years that I think you'll find very interesting. Stone water jars, I think I mentioned before, mm-hmm. a pool of Siloam, different things that I think will will give some insight into in some stories in the Gospel of John, the paralytic. I think there are some really interesting things we found there. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Good to be back in the bistro again today. Bistro. Any any day in the bistro is a good day. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, Brian and I talk a bit more about archaeology, but this time, as we just mentioned, focusing on discoveries that connect straight to the book of John. As we highlighted in episode number 18 about the Gospels, the book of John is different than the Synoptic Gospels, which has led some to believe that some of the stories in John are non-historical. However, recent discoveries are pushing against that narrative. It's an interesting conversation that we hope you'll join us for. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com, as well as sign up for our email newsletter to stay in touch, but also to get some exclusive content we are working on right now. You can find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.